three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Sully is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. My name's John Zaglou, great to have you here. On today's edition of the program is Darnell Moody, a number three wide receiver. We'll break it all down in just a second. Plus, a brand new interview today with Greg Gabriel, the former head of college scouting for the Chicago Bears. We talk with him extensively about the Bears draft, his time with the Bears, and so much more. It's a great, insightful interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zagluo. You can watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportstalkChicago.com. I want to start today with this. I know I've been harsh on my critique of Darnell Mooney. I haven't been secretive in it. I've been pretty honest with all of you. I don't think he's a number one wide receiver. I'd like to see more, and that's not me criticizing him or slighting him. It's just the fact that I don't believe his production has matched what a number one should be doing. He barely got to 1,000 yards last year. Granted, rookie quarterback, bad offense, Matt Nagy. But he's a fifth-round pick, and still in the NFL, he hasn't done anything of great significance yet. He could this year or in the future, but as of now, not so much. The numbers he's put up resemble most definitely a number two, and potentially number one this coming season. But Dan Orlovsky of ESPN came out with a completely different evaluation. I'll read you the tweet right here. Orlovsky said this, quote, Justin Fields has two pass catchers drafted in the third round or earlier. Two! A third-round rookie wide receiver and a second-round tight end. He doesn't have a number one or a number two wide receiver. His starting wide receiver unit consists of, quote, undrafted, fifth-round pick, undrafted. If he plays well, he will be in an MVP combo. Lot to dissect there. Orlovsky, for the most part, is correct with the exception of Mooney. It's no secret the Bears have no wide receivers, and I've been preaching this for the past year, year and a half. This is one of the worst wide-receiving cores in football. One of the worst wide-receiving rooms in football. They may have guys who will look good, who have potential, but here's the funny part. I'm not going to consider five undrafted free agents as the answer for Justin Fields. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I saw some comments on my page about that, like, hey, they signed five undrafted free agents. When have any of those worked out big time? Often. All those guys are going to be off the team in a year. They're not going to be here. They're not going to play. (laughs) They'll be lucky if they even break training camp. They'll probably be one of the first players cut. All those undrafted wide receivers. None of them are worth considering as weapons for Justin Fields. None of them. You can't count them. You bring in St. Brown, who has 98 receiving yards as a career high in a season... Byron Pringle, who could show some promise as a solid number two or number three, Darnell Mooney, and Cole Komet. It's no secret, Justin Fields does not have apt wide receiver production or help. So it's not controversial to state that opinion, even though lots of people don't want to hear it. But it's true. I mean, it's all sound in evidence and in draft status and in statistics. In the eye test, even. Cole Komet, to me, has a lot of work to do. 
and he has to prove himself really this year. I don't mind his 600 yards, but I don't like no touchdowns. <laughs> I don't. St. Brown is only 98 yards in his career. So damn right, if he doesn't get at least 200, 300 something, his ass should be out the door. These are things we have to keep track of throughout the season. Byron Pringle, career high last year, 600 receiving yards, yet you're in Kansas City as a number two, number three. Come to Chicago with Justin Fields. Can you put up similar or better numbers in this system? My guess is probably not. So what do the Bears really have? That's why I agree with Orlovsky for the most part. But the one part of his old argument that caused a lot of contention recently is that Darnell Mooney is not even a number two. Look, Dan Orlovsky's a good analyst, but remember, he was the same guy who stepped out of the end zone on a safety. <laughs> he was a bust of a quarterback. But even more than that, his evaluation of Darnell Mooney is flat out wrong. And I know, it's coming from me, I've been very harsh on his career, on his case. But Darnell Mooney is not a number three wide receiver. A number three wide receiver is a guy who's going to get you 750, 800 yards, and that's a good one. Usually not even the case. That's a high end. Number two wide receiver. Number three wide receiver. That's high. Darnell Mooney last year was the only bear to post a thousand plus yards, even more than Allen Robinson. It was sabotaged, but still. And his rookie year, Darnell Mooney. 631 yards. He was already, as a fifth round draft pick rookie, the number two wide receiver in the Bears offense. Despite the whole quarterback controversy, despite Matt Nagy. How do you put up 631 receiving yards in a year in which you have two different quarterbacks, a horrible head coach, and constant scrutiny on the offense? Oh yeah, and your fifth round draft pick. You had no expectations entering the season. You probably weren't even going to play, and you did, and you succeeded to that extent. Darnell Mooney is not a number three wide receiver. I can't even name you a comparison of a number three wide receiver. Who cares? If you think of a number three wide receiver comparable to Darnell Mooney, tell me. That's the point. Number three wide receivers, for the most part, are irrelevant. If anything, if you want to compare him to Steve Breston from the Arizona Cardinals in the year in which they had three receivers get 1,000 yards, fine. But that's it, and that's an anomaly. One of the only times that's ever happened in NFL history. Larry Fitzgerald, Anquan Bolden, and Steve Breston all posted 1,000 yards for the Arizona Cardinals one year. Steve Breston got 1,006. He was the number three. If you want to compare Darnell Mooney to Steve Breston, fine. But that's the only way you could justify to me that Darnell Mooney's the number three wide receiver. So if Dan Orlovsky was referring to Steve Breston, who many people don't even know about, fine. But he obviously wasn't. This was a slight on Darnell Mooney and his ability and capability in the NFL moving forward and what he's done so far. I'm not saying Darnell Mooney's a superstar number one. We can all agree on that, but he is not a number three. A number three is almost meaningless at that point. A number three is Eddie Royal. <laughs> Taylor Gabriel. These are number three wide receivers. You're going to tell me Darnell Mooney's the same as Taylor Gabriel? Eddie Royal? Come on. That's a stupid comment to make. And yet, it was made on national TV and on Twitter. Once again, a picture that the national media tries to paint that doesn't really exist. This doesn't exist. Erno Mooney is not a number three. Anybody with a brain and a football sense knows that. This was said to generate clicks and outrage, and I guess it worked. I'm pretty pissed about it myself, but still... How can you call yourself an NFL analyst or an NFL expert and then make a claim like that? It's fine to be mad at the Bears for not giving Justin Fields enough weapons, and that's true. I think we can all agree on that. But to claim that Darnell Mooney, your true only weapon to an extent, is a number three, that's inaccurate. And Dan Orlovsky needs to be better at understanding statistics, and also film. He's an avid film watcher. You could clearly see when you watch Darnell Mooney play, this is not some number three pushover wide receiver. Some journeyman. Might have been drafted in that spot in the fifth round. Doesn't mean he is. 
That doesn't mean the position in which he was drafted defines who he is as a player. That's stupid. Then Tom Brady would be a bust, right? Seventh round, sixth round. So however way you slice the justification that Orlovsky had for his statement, it makes no sense. Be better. That's my message. Be better than that. And I know everybody makes mistakes. I'm not always right or I misspeak at times, but this is just simple know-how. You have to know about something like this before you say something. Even though I haven't been as high on Darnell Mooney, I know he's not a number three. He's not a number three. Unless he's a Steve Breston, which we're not even talking about. You're basically saying he's equivalent to Taylor Gabriel or Eddie Royal with that statement. So Darnell Mooney's the same as those two. Right. Does that make any sense? Come on. (laughs) That's an insult to Mooney. That's a huge insult to him. He might not be a number one yet. Maybe he will be someday. We don't know, but he's not a number three. He's ten times better. I'd rather have more than anything. Darnell Mooney over Eddie Royal or Taylor Gabriel. And that's not offensive at all. That's the truth. Not offensive to them. Darnell Mooney's way better. He's done more with less. Can you imagine Darnell Mooney's situation? Darnell Mooney's played with three different quarterbacks already. Fifth round pick. Now a new head coach. Bad head coach before. And he's still producing. That's impressive. Shouldn't be a slight or, oh, yeah, he's a number three. No! What are you judging him for based on his draft position, Dan Orlovsky? Because, again, if that's the case, then we should say Tom Brady's a bust, right? Tom Brady's a bust then because he was a seventh-round pick out of Michigan. And he sucked at the combine. So he is, by default, a bust. See what I mean? You can't judge people based on their draft position. Sure, the Bears don't have a first-round, hyped-up, top-pick wide receiver. That's a problem, and we've talked about that before. It would be great for the Bears to have some big-time superstar, a Debo Samuel, some top pick. They don't. Unfortunately, they don't. That's not going to help Justin Fields. But you know who will help him? Darnell Mooney. Darnell Mooney will help out Justin Fields. He will be the default number one on this weaker Bears wide receiving core. But in reality, on any other team, if you put Darnell Mooney anywhere else, he'd be a solid number two. No question. Anywhere else. Darnell Mooney is definitively one of the top 64 wide receivers in football. If you don't think so, then again, you got some work to do. Name me 64 better wide receivers than Darnell Mooney in football. 64. Not 32, not 20, not 10. 64. Yeah, I don't think so. You cannot name me 64 better wide receivers. Which means, by default, Darnell Mooney's a number two, not a number three. And if you want to make the fringe number three argument, then name me 96 better wide receivers than Darnell Mooney. You can't. That'd be like saying St. Brown's better, Pringle's better. No, they're not. It's just a stupid argument to make, and it's obvious that maybe ESPN had a slow news week, because this makes no sense to talk about. We all know Justin Fields does not have the weapons that he should have. We know that the Bears have not done enough in the wide receiver room to make things easier on him. That's apparent to everybody, but to insinuate the guys they already have, one guy already has a 1,000-yard season and who's done so much with so little, to insinuate he's a number three is ridiculous. And Dan Orlovsky, you're better than that. Sorry. It's fair for everybody to worry about Justin Fields, to worry about what weapons he's going to have, what he's going to be capable of in this offense. New coach, new offensive line, new wide receivers. Not enough wide receiving help. But you can't demean a guy who's produced. You can't. Can't talk down on somebody when, by far, he's one of the top 96 wide receivers in football. One of the top 64 wide receivers in football. He is, which by default makes him a definitive number two. 
Don't judge somebody based on draft position only. It'd be different if he's a rookie, fifth-round pick. We don't know anything about him. Way different. Darnell Mooney's proven. With Matt Nagy as his head coach and three different quarterbacks that he can produce at the NFL level. So to say he's a number three is ridiculous and wrong. And as I said, I know for a fact Orlovsky was not referring to Steve Breston of the Cardinals that one year he got 1,006 yards. He wasn't. This was a slight to Darnell Mooney. Dan, look at the numbers. Look at the situation. Even more than the numbers, Mitch Trubisky, Nick Bowles, Justin Fields, Andy Dalton. So four quarterbacks total, really. And look what Darnell Mooney's done. And now a new head coach comes in, new offense comes in, and I guarantee you he'll produce similar numbers this upcoming year, even if the year is ugly. Last year was ugly, 1,000 yards. Last year was very ugly, 1,000 yards. Rookie year, pretty ugly too, 631. That's number two-esque production. And on any other team in the NFL, Darnell Mooney would be a definitive number two. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Greg Gabriel comes up next, so stay tuned. Sports Talk Chicago. Here with John Zaglul, and we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's the former director of college scouting for the Chicago Bears and a contributor to the Ballroom Network. Please welcome Greg Gabriel to the program. Greg, it's great to have you on. How are you? Well, it's good to be on. I'm really good. How about you? I'm doing great. Thanks for being here. What do you make of the Bears draft, first off? You know, I'm not one to criticize those things ever. I know, you know, <laughs> having done it a good part of my adult life I know exactly how much work goes into it and what happens with with fans and media is you know they read the draft mix stuff and so they assume what the draft mix have is the right stuff and and I'm not trying to say anything negative about them but they have about one-third the information that each individual team has you know as far as background and especially when you get into medical and coaches report, you know, talking to the coaches, they make school calls. There's a lot involved where, you know, a lot of the, the draft analysts, they watch a little tape. Now, there's a few like uh, Move the Sticks, Daniel Jeremiah, who's been in the league. And, and so he knows what it's all about. But a lot of these other guys, you know, they've never made a school call in their life. So they don't. And it, it, it just adds so much more to the information that you get. And you could, you know, you set up, every team sets up a board. I guarantee you, because I've, you know, been in draft rooms for years and years and years, there's no two boards that are ever alike. So when people say, well, why'd they pass him? Because that was the best, you know, this one guy was the best guy on their board. And just because their board's different than say the uh, Kansas City Chiefs or the New York Giants, so what? They're all different. And especially when you get into day three. You like the strategy by Ryan Poles to go after the best guy available rather than draft by need. Well, yeah, but in essence, he took need too. I mean, just be, but everybody said, well, we got to get a receiver. They didn't get a receiver. They got a receiver in the third round. But I said going into the draft and their biggest need was a corner. And, and what they take first, a corner. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I thought they'd take an offensive lineman, a corner, and a wide receiver somehow in the first three picks if it fell that way. Okay, they took a, a wide receiver, a corner, and a safety, but the safety was the highest guy. And, you know, my thinking was and it, was that while they signed the, the one free agent who was with Tennessee, and so – he might have been filled that safety need, but this guy was too good. This guy's an instant starter. Were you surprised by those first two defensive picks, or did you think they were warranted based on what the Bears needed, like you said, a corner? Well, obviously corner, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like that. Um, and, and that guy's going to be a player. 
not a doubt in my mind. In fact, you know, when I was doing tape of all these guys leading up to the draft, where his teammate who went in the first round was better today, I can see this guy being better two years. Really? Yeah. Well, the other guys, you know, he's played more. He's got more experience. And, and, and I think this guy, he's just, as he gains experience at the pro level, he, he's got, he's got better traits and, you know, he, he's a, uh, he's a smart kid. I think he's going to be a, a, a top level corner in the NFL. How much of an impact do you see him making this year in his rookie year? Oh, he's going to, I think he's going to be a starter right from the beginning. Uh, teams are going to go after him. It'll probably be similar to the way Jalen Johnson played. You know, it was his first year. You got to go through the growing pains. And Kyle Fuller, the same thing. You know, Kyle <laughs> didn't start the first couple games, and then he came in. He, I think he had, what, two or three interceptions the first three games of his career. So it, it, he's going to make an impact. They had to get somebody. You know, people said, well, they Thomas Graham can go there. Well, Thomas Graham is a question mark. Not saying he, he might turn into be a great player, but the little snaps he had last year were not enough to say he's good enough to put out on the corner and start. Greg Gabriel here on Sports Talk Chicago. Greg, what's your evaluation of Bellis Jones Jr., the Bears uh, wide receiver pick? He was in my group of wide receivers. I had him as a third-round guy. And, you know, to be honest, I, I looked at it. There was another uh, wide receiver on the board at the same time, Tolbert from South Alabama who fits that X mold, you know, th that Green Bay uses a tall, got good speed. He's a four, four, eight, and he's tall. And he, he's got a ton of production from South Alabama, did well at the senior bowl. I thought, okay, that's the better receiver. But then when you throw in the rest of the game, the special teams and the returnability, then it's like, okay, well, I get it. You know, cause, and, and the way they're going to use him, where Tolbert gives you nothing on special teams. He's not a return guy and never will be a return guy. And that's a huge part of the game. Like you look at what they, they drafted and even some of the free agents they are multidimensional. They're guys that can do more than one thing. You know, you got a few guys that are running back uh, from Baylor. <laughs> he can return kicks too. And so you're going to have an interesting battle just between those two guys and who's going to be the number one return guy and who cares, you know, as long as, <laughs> as long as they're productive. How concerning is the age with Bellis Jones jr. Is going to be 25 by opening day. Is that a problem to you or not really? Uh, how about this? That no, not one person is mentioned outside of me. He's 11 months older than Devin Hester was. When Devin was a rookie. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Did that affect Devin Hester? Not at all, obviously, okay. right? So, you know, <laughs> that, that, you know what? Years ago, it was a big deal because you had control of your players for basically their whole career. That's not the case now. You've got four years. And then if, at the end of four years, you've got to make a decision. You're either going to re-up them at a huge sum of money, uh, in most cases, or you're going to let them go in free agency. So the age doesn't matter. It's not, it's not as big a factor as it was. And if they use him the way they say they're going to use him, and, and so he's going to be like, you know, the guy at, at, at San Francisco, and he's going to be a little bit of running back, a little bit of slot receiver, a little bit of outright receiver. And, you, you know, if he's anywhere close to Debo, you might only get four or five years out of him. Because if you're carrying the ball, that takes a toll on your body now. How much stock do you put into that comparison of Debo Samuel to Jones? Well, he's got, he's done it. He's got the skill set to do it. Uh, to say that he can do it at the NFL level, that's a wait and see. You know, nobody knows that. Uh, I'm going to say this, though, just about the wide receiver group at home, because I, you turn on the radio and you, you listen to talk radio and you read the thing, and everybody said they don't have any receivers. I think personally, they're a lot better than, than uh, what the average fan and what the, most people in the media think. 
Byron Pringle is a hell of a receiver. He just, you know, he had to wait his chance to play in, in, in Kansas City. And Equinidia St. Brown, go back and look at his tape when he was coming out of Notre Dame. His problem was not the talent. His problem was, you know, I think he, and I'm throwing a dart at the wall here because I've never met the guy personally, but from talking to people I know at Notre Dame, he probably felt a little entitled, a little bit spoiled the way he was, was brought up and just wasn't ready to be a pro. And you look at Green Bay's depth chart, he's a damn good receiver. And, you know, so he had to wait in line. Now, Luke Getze, the, the Bears offensive coordinator, he's seen this guy every day in practice for the last three years. He knows exactly what this guy could do. And, and so would they? he was the second receiver they signed. They signed him right after they signed Pringle. Do you think they would have done that had Getze not signed off on it, knowing what he can do? Exactly. That makes total sense. Yeah. And, and people, you know, the media, yeah, I get it. They, you know, you don't have that production, but again, go back and take the time to look at his, his Notre Dame tape and see some of the stuff he did at Notre Dame. And he's a lot better now. You just watch him running routes, you know, now as compared to when he was in college, it's an entirely different player. And he's that big, he's six, five, 215 pounds. Now his, his younger brother, is it anywhere near as athletic as this guy? Uh, and he's not as big. And he came in as a rookie last year in Detroit and had 90 catches. Now, I'm just thinking from the standpoint of comp competitiveness within the household, it's going to drive equanimous a little bit. Catch up, you know, I'm not going to have little brother surpass me. <laughs> Do you buy the argument that Darnell Mooney is a bona fide number one wide receiver? No, I, but I never, I know he's a, he's a two and he's a damn good two. The, but there's a lot of people are saying he's not a two and they're, I can't swear. Um, they, uh, <laughs> they're full of it. Yeah. And, and the guy was a leading receiver last year. He caught passes for over a thousand yards in a horrible offense. He doesn't drop the ball. He works his ass off. He's got great football character. He runs a 4-3-8. Yeah. Does he have ideal size? No. So what? You know, so the other, some of the other guys they brought in got some of those big bodies. And, and I, you know, he is going to be – he might be the Bears' number one this year. But you know what? There's, there's teams in the National Football League that don't have legitimate number ones. There's not 32 legitimate number ones in the National Football League. Do you think the Bears are fully committed to Justin Fields based on the moves they made in the draft and how their roster looks moving forward? Yeah, absolutely they are. And, you know, put it this way. These guys wouldn't have got the job if they weren't, weren't fully committed. They, they had a sign-off on that in order to get the job. So, I, you know, that's... I got to tell you, John, I hate the negativism that the media puts out because and, and they do it here. It's nationally. They, they pry off the negative instead of looking at the positives. And so they're saying, well, Justin Fields had you know, struggled some last year. Of course you did. But was that all his fault? No. A lot of it was the design of the offense. Some of it was, you know, you didn't solidify the offensive line as far as who was going to play until the second half of the season. You had a lot of injuries. Um, you know, the, the big question mark this year, I think, is, is going to be how good that line comes together. But part of it is you got a different philosophy between the two coaches. You know, I've worked with Juan Castillo before, and I, and I got a lot of respect for him, but Juan – wants these big elephants playing for them that don't have great maneuverability. Well, if you look at the testing numbers of some of these guys, when they had their pro days because there was no combine a year ago, they tested pretty good. Their numbers are good, but they had them. And I'll give you a, a perfect example. Larry Borum. Uh, Borum was like at, at Missouri, maybe 350 pounds. He knew he was too heavy. 
So he drops down to 320 pounds for his pro day and moved around really, really well. But Juan says, you're too skinny. He wants him back. He wanted him back up at 235. And this year, and I know the program, Jimmy Arthur's the new strength coach. He worked with Rusty Jones when I was there. And Rusty, as far as I'm concerned, is the best in the business. He's with the Colts now. Uh, he's been a lead strength coach for, God, well over 30 years in the National Football League. Uh, he's real big on nutrition and flexibility, uh, proper dieting, but also the one thing that he's huge on, and Jimmy follows that, that same criteria, is percentage of body fat. And so everybody, they ha we had this machine when I was there, and I'm sure they have it. I don't know if they still have that same one because I don't know how long they last, but I guarantee you they got another one. It's called the Bod Pod. And it looks like an egg and you sit in it and, you know, there's a window and air circulates while you're in there. In a matter of about three or four minutes, it gives you your body fat, your muscle mass, your percentage of body fat, you know, everything about your body. Um, you know, like I say, within a couple minutes and then they have criteria for each position. So a defensive lineman can have a maximum of, X amount of body fat. Okay. An offensive lineman, a maximum, of, you know, say around 23% or 24% or something like that. You, you want your defensive backs and, and your wide receivers to be in, in single digits, seven, eight percent. And if they can get lower than that, great. So now you're looking at the lean weight, which is their muscle weight, and then their total weight. And that's what's going on now with these guys, the way they're they're working out. They're getting their bodies to the right well, dimensions, the right percentage of body fat. And, and, and weight really doesn't, they, you know, Ryan Paul said, well, some of these guys got to lose weight. What they got to lose is body fat. And so if you've got, and you're assigned two things in this program, and it's uh, you're assigned a percentage of body fat and, and, and a weight. Well, you can be, above the weight if your body fat is okay. So let's say you're, you're, you're assigned a, a, a weight of 320 pounds and body fat percentage of 22%. Well, if you come in at 325 and you're 21%, you're fine. You're, because you're, you're, you know, you're not five pounds overweight because you're, you're, that's five more pounds of muscle you have because of the you know, your, your percentage of, of the fat is less. You follow what I'm saying on that? Oh, I do. So do you yeah. think this Bears offensive line could get to that point? Are they maneuverable enough? Do you think they could be more in shape by game one to help out Justin Fields? It's, in that it's not really in shape. It, it's having the right body composition. They're going to be in shape. They're all in shape. It, it, it's just the, the right composition, but, and, and it, it leads to longer careers and it also leads to less injuries. You say, I know this program very, very well because we had it for all those years, you know, when Lovey was here and Rusty was here. And, you know, Rusty was like, there's certain guys, and, and I'll give you one example um, Nate Vasher. Of course. Nate Vasher was a fat guy. Okay, now Nate would probably punch me for saying that, but he or, or he'd start laughing because he knew it. But that was just him. No matter what he did, he was 13 and a half percent body fat. He was about six percent too high and he couldn't get it down. No matter what he did, no matter what they did in the weight room. And finally, because because I remember, you know, we're thinking about drafting him and the Rusty's looking at it, he goes, he's too fat. He can't play the position. You know, it's got way too much. I'm, I'll never get that off. And he turned out to be a Pro Bowl corner. He's the exception to the rule. But and, and you have that every once in a while. But for the most part, you know, guys like Peanut Tillman and stuff, they're six, six and a half percent body fat. These are lean guys. That's fascinating. I just have to say, Greg Gabriel here on Sports Talk Chicago. I obviously didn't know about any of this stuff. I've not been in a scouting department or in the Bears front office in any capacity. It's really interesting to know that 
all these different criteria are going to be applied to draft picks and even to free agent signings. I never knew this stuff before. There's a lot involved. I mean, you got psychological tests, you got intelligence tests, uh, interviews. Interviews are always huge in, in, in the draft process. There's guys, and I've, I've sat in th- literally thousands of interviews between all-star games and combines and bring you guys in on those 30 visits and, you know, over the years. And, and you know when a guy is BSing you and you know when a guy is being honest. And a lot of times you sit in the interview, especially if the guy's got something controversial in the past, you always know what the right answer is before you get into the interview. So then you know, you know, so then you hit him with it. He doesn't know you know the right answer. And so you can find out a real lot about the guy because if he's lying to you, you know it right away. Never know the, never ask a question you don't know the answer to. What's the weirdest interview you've been a part of? If you can share it, I. Um, th- th- there's been some that, uh, well, uh, there's a couple stories. I, there's just some guys that as soon as we got done at the combine, regardless of how good the player is. It's, we were done with them. We don't want them. Really? You, just, you just, and and there's other guys say, wait, Hey, let's do some more work on this. This guy's really an interesting guy. But there was in the year we took Rex, what we did, you know, we, we didn't bring Rex in as part of the, the 30 visits. And we, um, you know, we brought in Kyle Bowler. We brought in Sims. We brought in some other guys. Everybody and their uncles thought we were going to take Kyle Bowler because we, we, we let him talk to the press. We rejected Kyle Bowler at the combine. All that was for show. Wow. Part of, part of the games you play. And what happened at the combine was, you know, we're sitting in the interview and, and for the first part of his career, I don't even remember who his coach was, but for his last year at California, Jeff Tedford came in, who was a very good offensive line and a great quarterback coach. He had, had Aaron Rodgers after Bowler. And so we're talking to him, and, and you know, he was like a 49% and then a 52% completion percentage. And California was losing. And we said to him, Well, what was it like? He goes, well, I didn't like it. Well, how did you handle it? He said, well, I walk around campus with a hoodie and had the hood up so nobody knew who I was. Right then and there, with that answer, you're done. Because quarterback's got to be be outgoing and and, and be your leader, and yet this guy was trying to hide. So we just knew right away, personality-wise, he didn't handle adversity very well. Tried to hide from it. Who's the best personality you came across in those interviews? Oh, God, the, the, I'd have to sit down and think about it because there's been a time, uh, you know, a lot of really outstanding interviews. More to come with Greg Gabriel. In just a moment, stay tuned. This is Sports Talk Chicago. Greg Gabriel still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Greg, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, uh, scouting. How did you get into scouting from the beginning? It, reality is I wanted to. I mean, I was really? a player. I, I mean, I didn't, you know, I wasn't good enough to play in the National Football League, but I played minor league football from the time I graduated college, 1974 through 1981. You know, I was a small, skinny running back. And and back then, you know, it was a long time ago. You didn't have to be 220 pounds, but I, I could run pretty good. And, you know, I, the, the coach I was playing for was working part-time for the Buffalo Bills. His name was Gene Zinni, and Gene passed a couple of years ago. But he, you know, I said, you know, I want to do that. You know, the work he was, what, he, what, what happened was is, is Buffalo – Back then, this was 1981. So Buffalo, San Francisco, Dallas, and Seattle were all in the same uh, combine. It was called Quadra at that time, and it doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, back then, you didn't have 
video like you have now and nothing was digitized. We walked around with 16 millimeter Kodak projectors and you took those with you from school to school. So it was a pain in the butt, if you know what I mean. And so they used local people, this combine did, to supplement their scouts grades by just getting grading tape. You know, they get the, the film, I don't, wasn't tape, it was film. You get the film and, and you have to grade literally every play. And I did that for two and a half years for that. And, you know, by the third, by the, you know, into my third season, after two full years, then Buffalo started sending me out. So I was working part-time for them for two and a half years. And then uh, beginning of 84, I was working for National Football Scouting, which is the combine that runs, or the scouting combine that runs the combine and stuff. And then that led to a job with the Giants later that year. What made your Bears tenure so successful? Um, well, part of it, you know, Jerry and I, Jerry Angelo and I worked in New York together for three years. And then Jerry went down to Tampa Bay as the director of player personnel, but we already had developed a very good friendship. I mean, it was like, you know, we're really good friends throughout the year. So, I, you know, I knew if Jerry got the job here, I was getting the job here. I, you know, I knew that when he was going through the, uh, the interview process. So it was just a matter of, you know, I know when, I think it was June 13th or June 12th, 2001, that he got announced as, as the uh, general manager. And I knew I'd be in Chicago like two days later. And I was, so, um, uh, but I, I've enjoyed it. You know, and it's funny because I always had the Midwest as a scout. So I always spent a lot of time in Chicago and it was just like this, every time I'd be driving through going to Northwestern or Northern Illinois or whatever, or driving up to Wisconsin from, from Northwestern, I was like, I got a feeling I'm going to be, be here. And it was just, it was weird. But then I remember after I got the job, I go, yeah, I guess I was right. <laughs> how do you know to draft guys like Devin Hester, Lance Briggs, the others you picked, how did you make that determination? Well, it's, it's through all the work and it's never one guy's opinion. It's always a bunch of opinions and, and you get together and, and you know, you, you put, it's really a group grade. You know, you might have one guy's way high. Another guy could be real low and some other guys are in the middle. And that's basically where the final grade is going to be somewhere in the middle. I've always taken the approach when I was the scouting director here was that if I had a difference of opinion, a big difference of opinion with one of our scouts, either I was a lot higher or a lot lower then that meant the two of us got to watch film together. And I would try to watch film in his, uh, through his eyes. I knew what he thought of the player, what he thought the strengths and the weaknesses were. He knew what I thought the player was and so we'd watch film together and then try to come together on a on a grade that we both could agree on was it unanimous on Devin Hester or Lance Briggs or the other pro bowlers that you guys drafted oh yeah Devin had that whole draft was about getting Devin Hester in 2006 you know we traded out of the first round because we needed we had to get a defensive back and I think we didn't have a third round pick and, and so, oh, I'm going to say a week before the draft, five days before the draft, we started calling. We started looking at, okay, how far can we drop down and still get certain players that we like that we knew would be available? And, you know, you, you draw that line in the sand, so to speak, and then I call everybody in between. And, and you don't say a lot. You just say, hey, look, our guy may not be there. We may want to move. Uh, and if that's the case, just wanted to let you know that our pick may be for sale come draft day. And you just sit back and you wait because they're going to call. And we had nine calls. And it, it got hectic because there was um, there was three teams that really wanted the pick. And we're literally, I'm on one phone, Jerry Angelo's on another phone, Bobby DePaul's co-director's on another phone. And we're trying to get this done and, and we're getting ready to be on the clock. And so, you, and, and it turned out that Buffalo was, we felt the best deal. 
And so we went with them. The Colts really wanted the pick, and they ended up making a trade like a, like a slot later to, to get the guy they wanted. They wanted a running back who ended up busting. I can't even remember his name. Um, but we were able to make that deal with, with, with Buffalo. We took uh, Daniel Manning with that first pick in the second round, and then we got Devin with the second pick. Was that and, the best pick of your career, Devin Hester? No, I, I look, we drafted 12 pro bowlers when I was here. So, you, you know, that anytime you draft guys in the pro bowl, and that's a nine drafts, we got 12 pro bowlers. So that's more than one a year. And, uh, and that one draft, um, you know, Briggs and, and Tillman were the same draft. They went to the pro bowl, you know, so we had some good drafts. I mean, a lot of times at the top, we swung and missed a little bit. We had a home run with Tommy Harris until he got hurt. Uh, but that, that that's another – I mean, in that draft, we went in. We were changing the defense. Dick Duran was here. Greg Blosch was the defensive coordinator. And we had a very big defense set. You know, we had Ted Washington and Keith Trailer playing the defensive tackle. And Philip Daniels was one of the defensive ends. The lightest guy of those three was Philip Daniels. He was about 315. Washington and trailer were both over 350 and I'm being nice saying 350. Um, the only guy that had, you know, any size and speed was Alex Brown, who was a rookie that, that previous year, Alex was about 250. So we knew, you know, we're changing the scheme going to the same defense that they're, they have now, and you have to have an entirely different type of player. And so we went in and, and, you know, we, the guy we wanted was Tommy Harris, but we had like the 13th pick. We figured we aren't going to get him at 13. And, and we, we didn't have ammo to move up and we lucked out. How often do you, he's the first defensive lineman that went off the board that year at 13. That never happens. It was just a, it, it was luck. How close were you to not drafting any of these pro bowlers you're mentioning? Um, no, I, I don't say you, you, that's part of the plan. You go in there with a plan to get some of these guys. And so, and, and, and you figure out what you got to do to get them and, and, and where you got to draft them to get them. And so, you know, Lance, we really liked and, and an interesting, and I've told the story before, an interesting story about Lance is what, you know, we drafted him when Dick was here and, obviously played real good but when lovey gets here now lovey didn't know lance and he's the uh, the head coach and i had in my office i had you know the draft cards from each one of the, the players that were on the team it was basically i had the depth chart you know on my board in, in my office and so he's looking at it and he sees lance briggs and he was six one and change and 200 and 40 something pounds and he ran four, seven, eight. And Lovey said, he can't play for me. Why not? He's too slow. Now he came from, you know, he was Tampa Bay where they originated this defense. And Derek Brooks was the, was the original will linebacker. And Warren Sapp was the original three technique. And so, you know, he, and that's what he wanted. And, Derek Brooks is like a four or five guy. And so Jerry comes in, we're talking, said, Lovey, he may have timed four, seven, eight, but he plays four, five, five. Trust us, he's going to be fine. And so he goes, okay, I'll, I'll go with you guys and, and, and see. But he was doubtful. I mean, he still had a lot of doubt. He's even thinking of putting Erlacher at the will spot. And then once you got into camp and you saw what everybody could do, he, I mean, you know, it. Never was brought up again. How did it feel to assemble a near Super Bowl winning team? I mean, that, that, that's always very, very satisfying. Um, we didn't get the job done. We got there, but we did, you know, didn't finish it. Um, I thought on the opening kickoff, we were okay. But then <laughs> after that, it, it went downhill. Um, but it, I had been to, to three Super Bowls with the Giants. In my seven, two of them were winners. One was a loss. So it, it, anytime you get to the Super Bowl, it is just 
I don't know, wonderful. I, you know, the, the, the satisfaction you get out of it. I mean, my mentor who is now a part of is a guy by the name of Norm Pollum, who was with Buffalo for a number of years. And he's the guy who gave me my first job. And Norm was in the league 30 something years. He never got to a Super Bowl. And so there's a lot of quality people in the league that have never made it to a Super Bowl. I'm lucky I got to four. I won two and lost two. I'd like to get back, hook on with somebody and go one more time just so I can break the tie. But I want, you know, I want the winning tie, not the losing tie. <laughs> are there any teams interested in you or are you? I, you know, out there? I, I, I think that uh, that day's passed. Why do you say I, that? My age. <laughs> <laughs> How old do you think I am? There's never a good answer to that question. So I'm just going <laughs> to leave that one alone. Hey, no, if, if, if something comes up, something comes up. Greg, before we finish up today, last question. What's the funniest moment that you've been a part of in your career? Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that, you, you should have asked me that one yesterday so I, could, can, so I could think about it. I mean, you know, there's – my whole career, I think, is, was very satisfying. You meet great people. They're still, you know, my friends to this day. And it's not just guys I work with. It's guys you meet, you know, all around the league. And, you know, like D Dave Gettleman takes, took a lot of heat from the Giants. Dave Gettleman's a close friend. You know, he, he didn't do well as a GM. But, I, you know, I, I met Dave in around 85 or 86. He's working for Buffalo. So we're both – I'm from Buffalo. And we were both uh, living in Buffalo. I've lived in Buffalo the entire time I worked for the Giants. And so Dave and I did things socially together. We were on a lot of school calls together. So it's a relationship that goes way back. And we worked together in New York for a while. And before I came here. So regardless of how he did as a GM, that's irrelevant to me. You know, he's, he's a good friend. And a lot of these guys that are still in the league are good friends. Well, Greg, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate the time. Amazing insights, by the way. I know I learned so much. And looking forward to the next time we chat, too. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Great talk there with Greg Gabriel. That'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Greg Gabriel himself, Matt Dubiel, WCKG, Jim DeTobin, to Marlboro Entertainment for making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zagluel. You can watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago on YouTube or go to sportstalkchicago.com and find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. So long, everyone. No! No! Mirror the turtle!